and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the drive to get the best out of New Zealand's education system. From national standards in reading, writing and maths to NCEA targets, national-led governments have made a lot of changes to the school system since 2008. Insight investigates what impact nine years of National Party education ministers have had on schools. Good morning, The year eight children in this intermediate class started school in 2009, just months after the National Party won the 2008 election. While these girls and boys learned to read and write, national-led governments were altering aspects of the school system. They introduced the national standards in reading, writing and maths, and the first charter schools. They oversaw big increases in NCEA pass rates, but also New Zealand's lowest ever scores in OECD tests of 15-year-olds. And now they're reviewing the funding system. I'm John Gerritsen, and this insight explores how schools and school children are doing after three successive terms of national-led government. Right, this is a typical classroom space, pretty typical um, mix, as you can see. We've got some, um, all sorts of faces, girls, boys, year seven, year eight, Māori, Pacifica, everything all mixed up. Then this is a pretty good representation of our school as a whole. Tracy Ladall is the principal at South Wellington Intermediate. It's a decile eight school, and 60% of New Zealand children go to a school like this, higher decile and mostly Pākehā. Tracy Ladall says a lot's changed in the past nine years, but she doesn't think schools are better off. The impact of nine years, really, of reducing funding per student, but also national standards has narrowed the view of education and the view of education from a parent's perspective as well. Half an hour's drive away in Porirua, the principal of Decile 1 Windley School, Rhys McKinley, says there's been a lot of changes to things like the Special Education Service or SES. There's been a lot of change in a lot of the support agencies. People like SES, you know, they've changed their name, I think, three times since I've been here. But they've also changed personnel. So, you know, if, if that sort of thing happened in a school, if we changed our principals as much as we changed our managers in some of those areas, it would be pretty dysfunctional. Education is dealing with change all the time. But it seems to have accelerated over the last couple of years. And across in the Hutt Valley, the principal of Decile 3 Nainai College, John Russell, says while resourcing is a major problem, on balance, schools are doing a better job. He says their pedagogy, the way they teach, has improved. Schools are strongly focused on learning outcomes. They are far smarter at using data and looking at evidence and thinking through and thinking carefully about their pedagogical practices, all in all we're in a much healthier state with a lot more to be done. Whether that improvement is because of or in spite of the policies of successive national-led governments is up for debate. The Education Minister, Nikki Kay, is ready to claim plenty of credit for her government. 
If you look at what we were handed, we were handed a pretty old system. It was clunky in terms of both legislative regime, the infrastructure regime, but also the ability to monitor performance and raise achievement. She says national-led governments have chalked up wins across three main areas in the past nine years. The first is lifting achievement, so that's been a hallmark of our government, whether it's the introduction of national standards or the lift for Māori and Pacifica students in particular. That's been one big theme. The second is participation and early childhood. And then I'd say the third is the upgrade of infrastructure, that's both digital and uh, physical property, but also some of our ICT systems. But not everybody agrees the school system is better off. Education is in worse shape now at every level, actually, than it was in 2008 when National and its coalition partners came to power. Martin Thrupp is the head of Waikato University's School of Educational Leadership and Policy. He's putting together an edition of a journal looking at the impact of three terms of national-led government on education, and he doesn't mince words. From early childhood to tertiary, I would say the situation is pretty dire, grim perhaps, going to hell in a handbasket mightn't be going too far. How do you make that claim though? Because if you look across the system, you've got more children in early childhood education, you've got children doing the national standards, NCA pass rates have been going up, more kids are staying in school, surely actually things are better. What you're pointing to there is, is one of the elephants in the room that National has been unwilling to address, and that is data that is often essentially meaningless. I think that there is a lot of fabrication and we've got kind of data over substance. So really when you dig down into the policies, then there are a lot more question marks and concerns than you would have to have. Martin Thrupp says the national standards are a good example. How, how are you going to know whether it gets worse? Where are you going to find the answer? Where are you going to check? I'm going to go back and check back and in the check book, the story. find the evidence in the story. Critics say that without effective moderation, teachers' use of the standards is barely comparable from school to school, and the pressure to get more children across the line casts yet more doubt on the results, a problem Professor Thrupp says is common to both the standards and the NCEA. Soft fabrication is probably the kind of language you might use, not necessarily doing anything that is overtly cheating. But, for example, take the NCA, you know, the number of resets that students are allowed to do and the amount of help that individual students get in order to get through those kinds of issues. Certainly with national standards, there are a whole uh, host of ways in which it's possible to make students look better than they might otherwise. Martin Thrupp says he also detects a creeping privatisation of the state system, with the contracting out of teacher training, construction of schools, and even the provision of schooling itself through charter schools. I'm Cathy Wiley, one of the chief researchers at NZCR, and we've been running a series of national surveys since 1989 when Tomorrow Schools came in. Cathy Wiley is another who's been keeping a close eye on schools' progress. She characterises the past nine years as a lot of change with too little support. One of the things that we've seen since 2008 is a lot of very fast policy making <laughs> and that means that sometimes it doesn't, you know, it takes a while to land well in schools or it leaves mistrust with it afterwards. So if you wanted to think of a, a label for this period in New Zealand education, you'd say we're building the plane while we're flying it. That's often how people describe what is going on. Despite that, Cathy Wiley says schools have improved. 
there's much more focus on data in schools and much more thinking about target students, for example. There's been some good professional development around that. Thinking about inquiry, I think around the country there are some great things that people are doing in an everyday sense, you know, just by digging deeper than they used to and thinking about how do we know this has made a difference. So there's a real sense of something changing and much more attention, I think, to Māori and Pacifica learners. That's been really, really for the better, but we just haven't given them enough support to really develop that capability. That's what comes through again and again. Okay, let's see. Who wants to carry on? I want. Jaden, go on. Over the years that followed, Rona and Tamanui Tera continued to battle each other, with each other. The national standards in reading, writing and maths were National's first big change to the school system. Introduced in 2010 despite strong opposition, they set benchmarks at each year level and are aimed at ensuring all schools have a common understanding of what children should be achieving. Tracy Lador from South Wellington Intermediate says the standards create a strong incentive to focus on reading, writing and maths at the expense of other subjects. We work under national standards on the perspective that we have to do that, but that's not all that we do. But it is very difficult having those conversations when parents are constantly bombarded with, my child is at, above or below, and that's the conversations that parents want to have when we really want to make it much wider and bigger, as the New Zealand curriculum actually allows us to do. The principal of Marairoa School in Porirua, Kathleen O'Hare, is another who says the standards can narrow what schools teach. But she also acknowledges they brought some benefits. The introduction of the national standards caused a disruption and, and a lot of angst, but it made us start thinking about, actually there's a line in the sand now, this is an expected level, how do we get our kids there? So I think it caused a lot of um, reflective thinking around our teaching and we know our children and we know they're the, the bottom end of the table or the tail, we've got to get them here and so that was a positive for teachers I think. EJ, do you want to carry on from that? One summer's night, when the moon was full and Rona and Tim yep. had gone to bed, they began to argue over who was going to fill the... But surely the standards have helped improve children's reading, writing and maths. In 2015, attainment of the standards ranged from 78% in reading to 71% in writing, a percentage point or two above the 2012 figures. Tracy Ladall is not sure those figures mean much at all. Certainly our focus is on making sure that we meet the grade, but that's not the same as making sure that kids are better at reading, writing and maths. The pressure is on teachers for their OTJ, their overall teacher judgement, to be showing the continued increase regardless of whether that's actually borne out in reality. Cathy Wiley from the Council for Educational Research says there's no evidence of big improvements at a national level. We're not seeing huge shifts in individual schools. You know, you can see some shifts over time. But on the material that we've got at the national level, no, we're not, we're not seeing big changes. However, the government and the education ministry say achievement is improving, and so too is the reliability of results, thanks to a computer-based moderation system the ministry is urging schools to adopt. Māori and Pacifica achievement has been a key focus of the past nine years. Nikki Kay says it's one area where there have been particularly big improvements, especially in the NCEA. 
If you look at NCA achievement, I mean, the lift for Māori students in particular, I think we've seen an 18% increase since we've been in government. In terms of Pacifica students, in a relatively shorter period of time since 2011, we've seen a 15% lift in terms of NCA Level 2. But gaps persist. On every measure, Māori and Pacifica students still do worse than New Zealand European and Asian children. How are the expectations for learning shared in this class? The Porirua East Community of Learning covers the area's Decile 1 schools, which are predominantly Māori and Pacifica. Michelle Whiting from Corinna School says her community is finding it harder to make ends meet, and that affects the school as well. We've had to deal with a changing community in terms of increased poverty, and that's been quite challenging. The gap between those that have and those that don't has widened, I think that's particularly evident in this area. I think New Zealand is really lucky to have the teaching profession that it has. I see people who work really, really hard to do a really good job in what's quite a difficult circumstances. Despite the challenges, Michelle Whiting says the school has made its own efforts to raise achievement, although its students have not caught up to children from richer backgrounds. We've seen some improvements over time, but the actual data does not reflect that those improvements match what else is happening across New Zealand. So our national standards results have improved. So too has the rest of New Zealand. Rhys McKinley from Windley School in Porirua East says his school has managed to improve children's results too, but schools in the area could have done with more help, such as better professional development or PD. The intention was good, to close those gaps. I don't necessarily think that the PD or the support that was given to schools was necessarily backing up that intention so I think that it relied a lot on schools doing their own thing and that's what we're doing here in Porirua Nai Nai College, a decile three school in the Hutt Valley has a predominantly Māori and Pacifica role. John Russell has been its principal for 10 years and says the introduction this year of targeted funding based on particular risk factors shows the government understands the impact of social factors on education. But he says it's yet to back that understanding with enough support to really make a difference. They understand all the connections between socioeconomics and housing and policy and household health and qualifications of mother and ethnic impact factors and they, they can pull all that data and understand all the contributory factors for, for at-risk students. So they know the story, but they're yet to show a fronting up to actually dealing with that and, and making the difference. John Russell says low-decile schools face so many challenges, they need more staffing to cope. And he's sceptical about the extent to which gaps have closed. The apparent picture is a significant closing of the gap. Some of that is genuine closing of the gap. A lot of it is about diverse pathways and if you look at the nature of the courses that are being done and what is getting students across the line, then it is quite a different bundle than it was historically. So you could say we've got curriculum with a better fit than it used to have, students are more engaged and are learning more, they are learning different things, they are making progress. Um, If you go back to use the same measures that you were using before, then you wouldn't be seeing that amount of change. So the first question to ask there is, what is the gas that's produced? 
In secondary schools, NCEA pass rates have been climbing steadily and achievement of Level 2 was one of the government's better public service targets. By the end of this year, it wanted 85% of 18-year-olds to have the qualification and it's expected to reach that goal, an increase of 11 percentage points since 2011. The president of the Secondary Teachers Union, the PPTA, Jack Boyle, agrees teens are doing better now than they were in 2008, but he has caveats. Certainly in terms of NCA um, success, they are. And what we need to actually unpack is whether or not passing NCA, in particular Level 2, such as the, the goal was, whether or not that is translating into young people who are equipped for the world outside of school. Jack Boyle says universities and employers say too many young people are leaving school ill-equipped for work or further study. He says one reason for that is the government's 85% target, which he says had unintended consequences. What you're doing becomes very much focused on the target, and that's often at the expense of exciting, innovative curriculum and pedagogy. And, you know, there's some negative effects like increased anxiety and workload for young people and for the teachers who are trying to support them. Quite often you see things such as we've, we've got occurring now, and that is young people are enrolled across NCA Level 1, 2 and 3 for almost twice as many credits as they require to actually achieve the award. Jack Boyle says the focus needs to shift from meeting targets to giving young people a collection of NCEA credits that provides a credible first step toward work or further education and training. Nikki Kay acknowledges there might need to be improvements, but insists the increase in NCEA pass rates is valid. It is real achievement. I mean, we have a range of monitoring processes in terms of our education system from the independent Euro to international studies that look at what we're doing. So while things might not be perfect, it certainly does show quite a dramatic lift in terms of those young people that are leaving our school system with a qualification. At the same time as NCEA pass rates have been going up, New Zealand scores in the OECD's international PISA tests of 15-year-olds in reading, maths and science have hit their lowest ever levels. Researcher Cathy Wiley says rising NCEA pass rates and falling PISA scores are not entirely contradictory. They are measuring different things and you know, NCEA is... You know, individual kids and teachers in schools are motivated. <laughs> and PISA is not something which has anything to do with what's going to happen to me, my future or my school's future. And I think you have to look at that. But having said that, you can then think, why is this happening? Is it because a change in the demographics of our population and we do have high proportions of students in poverty and those who are coming from a, from a lower bench? For her part, Nikki Kay says the fall in PISA scores is not National's fault. She says the 15-year-olds who sat the test in 2012 went through most of their schooling before National came to government, and those who sat in 2015 slowed the previous year's declines. Though student achievement is contested, one thing many in the sector agree on is that there have been some big changes to the education system itself. John Russell from Nainai College says the Education Ministry is being more proactive. We have shifted from the Ministry playing a very passive role in terms of the nature of delivery and directly influencing learning to being very much on the front foot 
trying to drive things and trying to absorb all the international messages that are going on and convert that into reality. So I think there's some very positive changes happening in terms of learning and teaching and the role of schools, and there's some big gaps. And the president of the School Trustees Association, Lorraine Kerr, says there's a lot more communication and cooperation. What's changed is the level of collaboration between schools and actually between the sector and with the government. That's been the biggest change. I think initially it was prompted by a number of issues in the education sector, prompted by the Novapay debacle, and so we started talking to each other about how we could better support each other, really. But some of the changes have not gone down well with school leaders. The president of the Principals' Federation, Dunedin Principal Fetu Cormac, says the government is trying to exert more authority over supposedly self-managing, self-governing schools. Since this national government has come in, there's an increasing control over what occurs. And with the Education Act update, we are conscious that there could be further changes around and further control measures put in place. So things haven't been that positive under this government in education. Charter schools, where the government contracts third parties to provide schooling, have attracted a lot of attention. But there are only ten of them, and they've not had a big impact on the sector at large. Linda Stewart from the NZDI says the schools are a fringe element and she remains opposed to them. There's this whole view that a private school is going to be offering you something better I think is is quite dangerous. So, yeah, there might only be ten of them. I think there'd be more if there wasn't such a, a vehement opposition to them and I think they're taking away money from the state school system that badly, badly needs it. But are schools better off? Nikki Kay says they are. If you take the operational grants, for instance, from 2010, CPI went up 11% and the budget increased by 16%. If you take school property, for instance, we've had an increase in tens of thousands of students and the overall utilisation rate for New Zealand has gone down, which shows that we've invested more money than is required in terms of growth. In that area as well, we've invested half a billion dollars around fixing a whole lot of leaky buildings. In the area of digital, we've connected 98 percent of schools to uncapped fast connections. So there's clearly areas where we've done a lot more than population growth. The president of the School Trustees Association, Lorraine Kerr, says funding is adequate and overall schools are better off than they were in 2008. Government has poured millions into building structure. I think our system is better at working together. If I look back a few years, we would have between 180 and 250 interventions out there. Now there are less. The support is immediate. But principals I talked to disagreed, and the president of the NZDI, Linda Stewart, says schools are struggling. I'm with principals groups all the time across the country, and what they're talking to me about is the fact that they can't make ends meet. And so the only areas that they've got that they can actually make any cuts to are the people, so that's your teacher aides, or curriculum resources, both of which actually directly impact on, on children. Cathy Wiley from the Council for Educational Research has no doubt that schools are worse off. 
Oh, they're struggling more. When you look at comparative funding for school systems, we've always been underfunding. We've actually done really well in New Zealand for decades with a lower per student rate. But I do think that schools have lost ground in the last decade and that resourcing issues are coming more and more to the fore, partly because we are asking more of schools. Signed out. One area where the government has dramatically increased funding is the communities of learning, the scheme that pays some principals and teachers more to lead changes in groups of schools. It was announced at the start of 2014 and is expected to cost about $150 million a year once fully in place. Michelle Whiting from the Porirua East Community of Learning is positive about the scheme's potential but adds that local schools were already working together. We've been a cluster for a number of years, so we're quite used to working together, but the best thing about the community of learners' policy is that it's going to be resourced much better. This is going to help you improve education across your schools? We believe it will. Fetu Cormac from the Principals' Federation is also positive about the potential of the communities of learning. This is huge. This is the biggest change since tomorrow's schools in the late 80s. But he's worried the government now wants to channel money for things like buildings and teacher training through the clusters created by the policy. In the three years that's passed since then, the notion of communities of learning have moved from that to the notion of saving money. Bundled services, schools working together to save money essentially, which in turn will save money for the government. Money saved will not improve achievement for young people. Fetu Cormac says changes to the Education Act also mean the communities of learning could become the vehicle for startling changes to the way schools are organised. That could mean that communities decide to come together to have one principal and one board. So what will that look like? Five, six, seven schools, ten schools becoming a super school. So there is that potential. That's, I guess, the worst-case scenario. The best-case scenario is that true collaboration occurs to raise achievement. So we're not sure. So let's see what happens in the next couple of three years. Nikki Kay says the option of pooling funding for things like property is just a response to what some schools are asking for, and it will be up to schools, not the government, to decide if schools should merge or share a principal. Nevertheless, it's clear the communities of learning will be the vehicle for school change in the coming years. And Nikki Kay says there will be more change. The nature of the world and the way that it's changing is that I wouldn't be doing my job in areas like digital technologies if I didn't work with the sector, whether it's the new curriculum changes or the way that we support teachers. So the balance is to bed in the change, but also to keep with pace in areas where we have to move. Nikki Kay says her sights are set on digital learning and raising the quality of teachers. But she faces a school system that's tired of change, clamouring for more support, and in some cases, deeply suspicious of where the national-led government is leading them. I'm John Gerritsen, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. John Gerritsen wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benj. If you'd like to listen to other insights, you can load up podcasts from iTunes or your Android provider, or you can download from our webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight. And nice to have you with us.